Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Jan Walker. And I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about the new Biden regulations on wetlands. That's coming up later in the program. First, your environmental headlines. Public comment is now open for residents to share their input before the Indiana Department of Environmental Management approves or denies the closure plan for the main coal ash pond at Duke Energy's Gallagher Station near New Albany. During a virtual public meeting, engineers laid out the plans for closure of the primary 10-acre coal ash pond at the site. Mike Thornbrew, senior civil engineer at ATC Group Services in Indianapolis, the engineering design consultant on the primary pond closure, said that the pond will be closed in place. The closure plan has been approved to isolate the primary pond from the surrounding environment, Thornbrew said. A composite vinyl cap will cover the pond and a network of reading devices and extraction walls will monitor and maintain the effectiveness of the wall. The groundwater is to be monitored for the next 30 years to ensure its safety. But the Hoosier Environmental Council is concerned about the way Duke proposes to close the pond in that it will seal the 3 million tons of coal ash in place with the lower 20 feet sitting in groundwater. Groundwater at the Gallagher Coal Ash Ponds is contaminated with arsenic, cobalt, lithium, molybdenum, radium, and boron, according to notes provided from a Hoosier Environmental Council meeting. Quote, arsenic, a poisonous metal that causes cancer, has been measured at concentrations as much as 15 times the national drinking water standard. Molybdenum was measured at 47 times the groundwater standard. Arsenic that reaches the Ohio River can accumulate in the food chain, resulting in sport fish being unsafe for consumption, particularly by children, women of childbearing age, and pregnant women." End quote. The Ohio River Waterkeeper and other organizations are demanding that Duke clean up polluting coal ash ponds by excavating the ash, recycling as much as possible, and moving the remainder to a lined, modern landfill out of the river's floodplain. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita, long considered to be ultra-white wing, joined the attorneys general of 18 other fossil fuel-dependent states in filing a petition asking the U.S. Supreme Court to review the limits of the EPA's power to regulate environmental issues. Quote, I am taking action to protect Hoosiers from 
and out-of-control EPA, these ideological activists and the groups that act in concert with them ultimately are bent on destroying capitalism and our way of life, end quote. Rokita told the Indiana Environmental Reporter in a written statement, The petition is supported by coal industry trade organizations like the National Mining Association, America's Power, which represents Alliance Resource Partners, LP, the owners of coal mines and operations in Gibson and Mount Vernon, and Basin Electric Power Cooperative, the Great Plains branch of the Touchstone Energy Cooperatives, a federation of more than 750 electric cooperatives, 40 of which are located in Indiana. Recently, there have been new developments in the grassroots battle to keep a proposed petrochemical mega-complex from being built in St. James Parish, Louisiana, in an area known as Cancer Alley because of the proliferation of cancers from the petrochemical industry in the area. Experts from the United Nations Human Rights Council have issued a statement saying that the, quote, development of petrochemical complexes is a form of environmental racism, end quote. The statement also notes, quote, this petrochemical complex alone will more than double the cancer risks in St. James Parish affecting disproportionately African-American residents, end quote. At the beginning of June, the New Orleans City Council unanimously passed a resolution that opposed the proposed Formosa Plastics mega plant in St. James Parish and further petrochemical expansion in Cancer Alley. Although St. James Parish is about 40 miles up the Mississippi River from New Orleans, the 14-building facility, which would be one of the world's largest plastic factories, poses a threat to the environmental health and well-being of the New Orleans community. Council Member Jay Banks said that the jobs the project would bring don't justify jeopardizing human life. Although the City Council's resolution has no power over the St. James Parish Council, or the Army Corps of Engineers, both of which have approved the project and could revoke necessary permits for the plant, the resolution is part of a growing movement against the facility. These latest developments grew out of the community group Rise St. James's efforts to stop the plant beginning in 2018. Those efforts have gained the group local, national, and international attention. The Biden administration announced some changes to Trump-era rollbacks to the Endangered Species Act, the Humane Society of the United States shared. The Trump administration made numerous damaging changes to the act, which President Biden has now reversed. The Trump administration's changes included reducing requirements, designating habitats for species, easing rules to deny a listing for endangered species, and requiring the agency to provide the smallest number of protections instead of the largest. Quote, The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is committed to working with diverse federal, tribal, state, and industry partners to not only protect and recover America's imperiled wildlife, but to ensure cornerstone laws like the Endangered Species Act are helping us meet 21st century challenges. End quote said Fish and Wildlife Service Principal Deputy Director Martha Williams. The Biden administration will rescind the habitat requirements put in by the Trump administration, reinstate the presumption and endangered species should have the most protections, and partially revise the rule that makes it easier for the agency to deny listing. 
Kitty Block, president and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States, said in an emailed statement, quote, An ever-growing number of Americans support animal protection, and that's what our federal policy should reflect. Some of the animals listed as threatened or endangered are among our nation's most iconic species. Today's announcement is a win for these animals and the integrity of the Endangered Species Act. But this fight is far from over, and we want a full repeal of the Trump-era rollback of rules concerning ESA listing and delisting. Trophy hunters, polluters, developers, and the wildlife trade ran amok within the Department of the Interior and the Department of Commerce for four years. But the consistency of the Biden administration's push to restore the proper functioning of federal decision-making is so very welcomed, end quote. Two pernicious pesticides, aldicarb and malathion, have been in the news lately. The news is good and bad. After a lawsuit by the Center for Biological Diversity and Farm Worker Allies, a judge has rejected the EPA's approval, made during the waning days of the Trump administration, of the highly toxic pesticide aldicarb for use on Florida citrus trees. This neurotoxin, which the World Health Organization deemed, quote, extremely hazardous, end quote, is already banned in 125 countries. Besides threatening farm workers, aldicarb hurts children and endangered species like wood storks. As to malathion, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service recently found that it jeopardizes the survival of 78 plants and animals protected under the Endangered Species Act. However, the agency didn't propose any actions to safeguard them or any of the 1,000-plus other species vulnerable to this chemical killer, which is especially toxic to fish, aquatic bugs, and amphibians like the nearly extinct Wyoming toad. The New York Times reports an intense drought is gripping the American West. Extreme conditions are more widespread than at any point in the last 20 years, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, the government's official drought tracking service, and the hottest months of summer are still to come. Across the region, reservoir levels are near record lows, and mountain snowpack, which slowly releases water in the spring and summer, is largely depleted. In California, water restrictions are already in effect, with more widespread cuts expected. Dry soil conditions are already increasing fire risk. The West is no stranger to drought, but climate change is making it worse. Severe dryness covered California and Nevada just five years ago, from 2012 to 2016. And the Southwest has been in drought for much of the past two decades, punctuated by rare wet years. Experts say this year is unusual because extreme drought conditions are so widespread and have intensified quickly. They are likely to grow even worse this summer. David Simmerall, a climate scientist at the Desert Research Institute and an author for the U.S. Drought Monitor, said conditions over the last 12 months had contributed to the rapid intensification of the current drought. Brutal heat lashed much of the region last summer. The southwest monsoon failed to deliver substantial rainfall that year, and many western states got less precipitation than usual this winter, too. While the west has long experienced boom-and-bust years for precipitation, climate change, caused by the burning of fossil fuels, is increasingly volatility. 
It makes dry years drier and wet years wetter. Lake Mead, the largest human-made reservoir in the United States, recently hit its lowest level since 1937, following years of decline. The lake, which sits on the border between Nevada and Arizona, is under growing pressure from the prolonged drought, climate change, and growing population in the southwest. Across the region, reservoirs are struggling this year, especially in California. Usually, melting mountain snowpack helps to replenish reservoirs, rivers, and soils throughout the spring and summer. But in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California, other parts of the lower west, snowpack melted earlier this year because of higher spring temperatures and other unfavorable conditions. Much of the runoff didn't make it to reservoirs and streams at all because already parched soils sucked up the water. Looking back thousands of years, it is evident that several intense drought conditions have occurred. Perhaps the best solution is to build more desalination plants. While most American desalination plants are used to purify less saline brackish water from rivers and bays, large-scale seawater operations have begun to proliferate in California, as well as Florida and Texas. California alone has 11 municipal seawater desalination plants, with 10 more proposed. A tiny, extremely rare wildflower might be able to stop a proposed lithium mine or might be reduced to extinction by it. Teams buckwheat grows only in one small place in the world, on 21 acres of western Nevada high desert public land, about halfway between Reno and Las Vegas. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, in response to a petition and follow-up litigation by the Center for Biological Diversity, has proposed protecting the flower under the Endangered Species Act. The proposed lithium mine, to be owned by an Australian mining company called Ioneer Limited, could wipe out 90% of the buckwheat's habitat. Only the Endangered Species Act could save the flower. The delicate, six-inch tall wildflower with yellow blossoms is on the brink of extinction, with just under 44,000 plants left. An unprecedented rodent attack during a severe drought last summer damaged or destroyed more than half the plants. Other threats to the flower are road building, off-road travel, livestock grazing, and climate change, as seen with the severe drought. Ioneer is proposing to salvage most of the remaining plants by transplanting them to another location. The Fish and Wildlife Service said, quote, however, we are uncertain whether the salvage operation will succeed because current research indicates that Teams Buckwheat is a soil specialist, that adjacent unoccupied sites are not suitable for all early life history states, and there has been no testing and multi-year monitoring on the feasibility of successfully transplanting the species." End quote. Scientists say the flower plays a critical role in the desert ecosystem by stabilizing soil, dispersing seeds and creating a kind of oasis that provides rare food and moisture for bees and other pollinators. The pressure is on to mine lithium because it's used in electric vehicles. And now for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about the new Biden regulations on wetlands. For the third time in six years, the federal government will change the definition of waterways that fall under federal protection. 
a decision that could affect the health of Hoosiers and the state's wetlands and waterways. The proposed change drew applause from Indiana environmental groups and criticism from trade organizations like the American Farm Bureau. Here's what Dr. Indra Frank, Director of Environmental Health and Water Policy for the Hoosier Environmental Council, had to say. So the Hoosier Environmental Council is very glad to see the, the federal action that was announced today, but it would also be helpful to have solid state policy so that Indiana's water resources would not be subject to this swinging pendulum that we're seeing on water policy at the federal level. I certainly hope that this move will return the Clean Water Act to regulations that are more sensible and science-based and take into account, you know, all of our waterways really are very interconnected. The Biden administration announced it intends to revise the definition of which waterways are considered waters of the United States, a designation necessary for Clean Water Act protection due to what it calls destructive impacts to the environment under definitions finalized in 2020. In a written statement, EPA Administrator Michael Reagan said the EPA and the Department of the Army determined that the 2020 rule is leading to significant environmental degradation. Reagan said the administration will establish a durable definition of waters of the United States based on Supreme Court precedent and lessons learned from the current and previous regulations, as well as from a wide array of stakeholders to better protect the nation's waters while fostering economic growth. The Trump administration, backed by lobbyists representing the fossil fuel industry, farming, housing, and other business interests, finalized a navigable waters protection rule in June 2020. That rule narrowed the WOTUS definition to four categories, territorial seas and navigable waters, perennial and intermittent tributaries, certain lakes, ponds, and impoundments, and wetlands adjacent to jurisdictional waters. Waterways that do not fall under those categories are governed by state regulations, which are often more lenient than federal regulations. The rule benefited industries by allowing them to develop land near waterways, mostly wetlands, that formerly fell under federal jurisdiction without having to apply for federal permits, which often cut into profits. President Joe Biden ordered the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to review the rule on his first day in office. The Corps found that due to the Trump rule, there was a 25% reduction of waters protected by federal regulations, a change the EPA said led to significant reduction in clean water protections. The Trump rule omitted protections for waterways that are dry for part of the year known as ephemeral streams and isolated wetlands. Soon after the rule was finalized, the Indiana Department of Environmental Management said it would no longer regulate ephemeral streams as part of its water quality certification, a requirement to receive a permit to undertake a project that could have an effect on waterways protected by federal law. The Trump waters rule had a significant impact on Indiana's waterways. This is IDEM Chief of Staff Brian Rockensus testifying about the rule's effects on wetlands in March. Every time a new federal administration takes over, they change the rule pertaining to waters of the U.S. When this rule changes, it shifts wetlands from federal jurisdiction to state jurisdiction. For example, the Trump administration rule in June of 2020, prior to that rule, 60% of wetlands in Indiana were federally regulated. After that rule, 80% of wetlands in Indiana were state regulated. It shifted what wetlands fell under what jurisdiction. State lawmakers emboldened by the federal government's relinquishment of jurisdiction and by lobbyists further whittled protections for Indiana wetlands by passing a law that halved the number of wetlands protected by state regulations. 
Environmental groups in the Midwest like the Hoosier Environmental Council and the Chicago-based Environmental Law and Policy Center welcomed the announcement, saying a science-based definition could return federal protections for some waterways to the benefit of Hoosiers and other Americans. The process to introduce a new definition could take several years and will most likely attract multiple legal challenges. The first step, some said, is to remove the Trump-era rule. This is Ann Mesnikoff, Federal Legislative Director for the Environmental Law and Policy Center. We need to make sure that we're looking at using science, and there's always better science and more science, to understand watersheds and water systems and making sure that we're creating a rule that will deliver the clean water everybody wants. That's for everybody. But the first step, the really urgent step, is for them to end the Trump rule and return to prior guidance, which is based on science and is, is more protective and has a record of being implemented. Um, but we need to get this rule out of the way because t too many streams, too many wetlands were left unprotected. And that's, you know, that's not going to be good for anybody. Industrial trade organizations like the American Farm Bureau Federation oppose the revision, saying the move will reduce regulatory certainty. Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall said he was, quote, extremely disappointed in the EPA announcement. Duvall said that clean water and clarity are paramount and that farmers shouldn't need a team of lawyers and consultants to farm. The battle over the definition of waters of the United States has gone on for decades and it's due to the wording of the Clean Water Act. Enacted in 1972, the Clean Water Act expanded a 1948 law that empowered the federal government to control the pollution entering U.S. waterways. In 1985, the U.S. Supreme Court heard the first of three cases it would hear over waters of the United States and the extent of the CWA's reach. The court decided that federal jurisdiction extended to wetlands adjacent to traditional navigable waters, like rivers, because adjacent wetlands have significant effects on water quality and the aquatic ecosystem in those waters. The WOTUS definition was later codified in 1986 and 1988. The regulatory definition of WOTUS included all interstate waters, including interstate wetlands. The definition was challenged in 2000 and in 2001, the Supreme Court decided that federal jurisdiction did not extend to non-navigable, isolated intrastate waters. After the court's ruling, Indiana lawmakers decided to protect isolated wetlands in the state that lost federal protection, resulting in the 2003 Isolated Wetlands Law, a law that defined which wetlands were regulated by the state and established a way for landowners to be able to develop their land while still preserving the state's wetlands. In 2006, the Supreme Court further narrowed the definition of waters of the United States to include only relatively permanent standing or flowing bodies of water. The Obama administration expanded the WOTUS definition in 2015 to extend federal CWA jurisdiction to eight broad categories of waterways. The expanded definition faced major opposition in Indiana and other states. A coalition of states backed by fossil fuel industry, farming, housing, and other business interests sued to stop implementation of the expanded definition. And as a result, the 2015 WOTUS definition was never implemented in Indiana and 27 other states. A federal court in Texas sent the rule back to the EPA for review, and the Trump administration repealed the 2015 WOTUS definition in 2019. The Trump administration began the regulatory process to install a new WOTUS definition in August 2017. The process was completed in June 2020. The Navigable Waters Protection Rule faces multiple legal challenges. And for Eco Report, I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And I'm Jan Walker. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? 
Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eagle Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Enjoy a cicada talk at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, June 19th from 11 to 11.30 a.m. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center to discover more about cicadas, their benefits, and why some are out every year, while others take almost two decades to emerge. Celebrate the summer solstice at Switchard Park in Bloomington on Sunday, June 20th from 1 to 4 p.m. Enjoy the longest day of the year with live entertainment, nature-related crafts, activities and programs for all ages, and delicious food from local vendors. Now is your chance to learn how to kayak. A beginner kayak class is scheduled at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Tuesday, June 22nd from 10 a.m. to noon. Learn basic paddling and safety skills, and you will also get some supervised paddling time in a quiet water area to practice. Kayak, paddles, and life jackets are provided. Sign up at bit.ly slash begin kayak dash jun22 dash 2021. Join Allie with my path for a full moon hike in McCormick's Creek State Park on Wednesday, June 23rd at 9 p.m. This adventure will take off from the Pine Bluff Shelter. Learn all about the history and folklore of the strawberry full moon. Space is limited. Please register by email at owenvalleyalley at gmail.com. Experience an evening of peace and serenity on Griffey Lake with a night paddle during the full moon on Thursday, June 24th from 8.30 to 10 p.m. Navigate the lake, take deep breaths of fresh air, listen to the night sounds, and watch the night sky light up the lake. Watercraft, life jackets, and paddles are provided. Bring a flashlight and register at bloomington.in.gov backslash parks. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812 334 4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman assembled the script and Linda Green and Patrick Callahan edited. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callahan produced and engineered 
today's show. For WFHB, I'm Jan Walker. And I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.